Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is a portion of today's gospel, John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. I'll remind you of this portion. John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ our Savior, I spent the summer of 1995 working on the road crew in Gladwin County, Michigan, back when I had actual calluses on these hands. I worked as a member of the sign crew, which means we were responsible for putting up construction and detour signs. We had to replace old street signs and stop signs that were damaged or had faded. We also had to put up new signs. And believe it or not, in a county that had just 25,000 people at that time, uh, this was a lot to do. It was just about all that this two-man crew could handle. And of course, that was just a small part of what the county road commission did. I mean, during the warm months, the, the dirt roads had to be graded, uh, highways had to be repaired, cracks had to be filled in, everything had to be kept just so. And during the winter, of course, you had to plow those roads, you had to salt them, you had to sand them. Taking care of those roads keeping them smooth and passable was a constant and never-ending activity. In our text, John the Baptist talks to us a little bit about keeping the roads in good shape. He says, make straight the way for the Lord. Now, of course, John was not talking about the stretch of blacktop that runs between your house and the grocery store. He was talking about the spiritual road that runs from our Savior into our hearts. God wants that connection between us and his son to be smooth and clear and free of obstacles. And so he sent the forerunner. He sent John the Baptist to preach, make straight the way for the Lord. How? Well, it's all about repentance. And my friends, repentance involves basically two things. One, honest confession and sincere sorrow over sin. And two, joy in our Savior's forgiveness, faith in that forgiveness. Let's talk a little bit about John the Baptist. He was an interesting character. His rough camel's hair coat and his diet of locusts and wild honey certainly made him unusual. The fact that he preached out in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness rather than in the busy city also made him a little bit strange. But what really set him apart was the message that he proclaimed, "'Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near.'" This unusual message drew the attention of the Jewish religious authorities, and they sent some people out to question him about who he was. Are you the prophet that Moses talked about? Are you Elijah? Come back to life. Are you the Christ himself? To which John answered, no, no, and no. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. You can kind of get the sense that these people were getting a little bit frustrated with him because he wasn't really giving them any information. So they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John then took them to the Holy Scriptures, to the book of Isaiah the prophet, and he said this, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. John's job was deceptively simple. He was to prepare the people's hearts to receive their Savior. He was to proclaim that most basic of all biblical messages, repent. 
Now, that's not a very popular message these days. We live in a world where self-esteem is held up as one of the greatest qualities that a person can have. We live in a world where saying anything negative about anybody at any time is seen as taboo. We live in a world where the word sin is just considered to be kind of a dirty word. And I'll give you an example. A number of years ago, I preached for a funeral. And after the funeral, later on in the day, I found a note left in one of the pews that had been addressed to me. And it said, a quote from Mother Teresa, first and foremost, do no harm. In other words, how dare you stand in that pulpit and say that my deceased loved one was a sinner? Well, of course, because I had to explain why that person had died. And because that's simply what the scriptures say. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But most people do not want to hear about that. And my friends, let's, let's be honest. Most of the time, we don't want to hear about it either. My friends, we need to hear about this. We need to hear regularly that we are by nature objects of wrath. We need to hear that we were born into this world dead in transgressions and sins. We need to hear that we sinners deserve nothing but an eternity in hell. Now, it's not fun to hear that message, and I can tell you, after having done it for a number of years, it's not any fun to preach it either. But think about it this way. You don't have surgery because it's fun. You have surgery because it's necessary. My friends, we don't listen to the accusations of God's holy law because it's fun, but because it's necessary for our spiritual health so that we understand our great and desperate need for the Savior. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Romans. He said, through the law, we become conscious of sin. We see our great need. To understand what Paul was getting at there, just Take a moment and ask some questions of yourself. Compare your life, your thoughts, your words, and your actions to that summary of God's law known as the Ten Commandments. Do you always put God as the first, the number one priority in your life? Do you always use God's name in the way that he wants you to, to pray, to praise, and to give thanks? Are you always eager to hear and study God's word and to receive the supper of your Savior's true body and blood? Do you always obey the laws? Do you always obey and honor and respect those in authority over you? For example, your parents. Do you always treat others with kindness and do everything that you can to help them out? Are the thoughts that run through your mind ones that could always be described as pure and holy and chaste? Do you always use the possessions that God has given you in the way that he wants you to? Do you always use your words honestly and to build others up rather than tearing them down? Are you always content with what the Lord God has given you? I know how I have to answer all of those questions. And you know what? John the Baptist did too. He recognized his lowliness. He said that he didn't even deserve to do the lowest servant's work for Jesus. Didn't even deserve to untie, untie his filthy sandals. John confessed his sinfulness. And my friends, that is the first part of repentance. Honest confession and sincere sorrow over sin. And by the way, not a worldly sorrow, not the kind of sorrow that says, I'm sorry that I got caught in that sin. I'm sorry for the consequences, the pain and trouble that it's causing in my life. But godly sorrow that confesses with the prodigal son, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am not worthy to be called your child. 
The first part of repentance is honest recognition that our sins have washed out the road between us and our God. Yes, the first part of repentance. But thank God it's not the only part. The Augsburg Confession, a statement of what we Lutherans believe, uh, already said this in the year 1530. Repentance consists of two parts. One part is contrition, that is, terrors striking the conscience through the knowledge of sin. The other part is faith, which believes that for Christ's sake, sins are forgiven. In his preaching, John the Baptist did not just talk about the first part. He didn't just point out people's sins. He wasn't just this big fire and brimstone guy. I think sometimes we have an image of him like that. He also pointed people to the only Savior. Listen to what he said to those people who came out to him. He said, Among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And then the next day, when Jesus Christ himself appeared on the scene there at the Jordan, John said, here he is. This is the one I've been telling you about, the one I came to prepare you for. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. No, John did not just preach about sin. He also proclaimed the only Savior from sin. Remember before when I said that road building and maintenance is a constant and unacting year-long activity? Well, if you think about it, it's really the same way with repentance. Repentance is, in a sense, our spiritual heartbeat. Repentance is the constant activity and attitude of the Christian, an attitude that is worked in our hearts by God the Holy Spirit through the Word. The very first of Martin Luther's 95 theses reads like this. He said, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he willed the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. Finally, that's what it means to be a Christian, to be constantly confessing our sin and continually trusting in our Lord Jesus Christ for, our, for his forgiveness. That's what it means to make straight the way for the Lord. The Apostle John sums this all up for us beautifully in his first epistle. He said, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My friends, what a joy it is to know that when we take our sins to the cross of our Savior, we can leave them there because they are forgiven, every last one of them. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, purifies us from all sin. So when the devil comes to you, as he surely will, and says to you, you know, you haven't lived the kind of life God wants you to live, you can respond to him. You're right, Satan, I, I haven't. But someone has. My substitute and Savior, Jesus Christ, he is a lamb without blemish or defect, and his perfect sin-free life counts for me. When Satan comes to you at his favorite time, I think, late at night, when you're just having trouble sleeping, and he says, you are a terrible and a miserable sinner. God could never, ever forgive the likes of you. You can answer him. You're half right, Satan. I am a terrible, miserable sinner, but God can and does forgive me. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ carried my sins all the way to the cross, and he poured out his priceless blood, the blood of the God-man, 
to pay for every last one of them. I am forgiven. When the deceiver comes to you like some sort of satanic soup Nazi and says, no heaven for you, there's no way that God's going to let you in because nothing impure will ever get in there. Again, you can answer him by saying, you're half right, Satan, you're right. God won't let anything impure into his heaven. But my Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day. That is the proof. That is the sign and the seal that everything he did to save me worked. God accepts his perfect life and his innocent death in my place. My sins are all forgiven and I stand holy and pure in the sight of my God. And so I am going to go to heaven. My Savior's resurrection proves it. Get away from me, Satan. It's been said, the old saying, that confession is good for the soul. And the idea behind that is just get something off your chest and you will feel better. Now, I know there's a certain amount of truth to that, but finally, confession without faith is useless. Confession without faith is not repentance. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, repent. Make straight the way for the Lord. Confess your sins. Trust your Savior Such repentant faith is what makes us ready to receive him when he comes again. Let's talk about roads again for a minute. What's the difference between driving on a U.S. highway and driving on the German Autobahn? Now, I know immediately you're going to think of speed because on the Autobahn there is no speed limit and you can drive as fast as you want. True. But there is another difference. In the United States... Uh, they require roads to last about 10 years after they're built. In Germany, the requirement is for roads to last 40 years. And so on average, the roads in Germany are over twice as thick as the ones here in the States. And the deeper, the thicker that road surface is, the longer that road will last. My friends, repentance is not a shallow or a superficial activity or exercise. It's not something that is just about mouthing the right words, about going through the motions. Repentance must run deep, deep in our hearts and in our lives. And so again, with the Spirit's help, let's all make straight the way for the Lord. Let's build a quality road to welcome our coming Savior. Let's keep on honestly confessing our sins and trusting in Christ alone for His forgiveness. And my friends, let's keep doing that until our Savior returns again in glory. God, grant this to us all for Jesus' sake. Amen.